We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories, and it's a great honor today to be with kind of a soul friend, I feel like, uh, Justin Miller, who has just come out with a recent book called Beyond Blood. It's excellent. I just finished it. It's very easy to get to. Um, and Justin, I want to thank you for taking the time and being with us on Healing Stories podcast today. Thanks, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here. One of the things that we always ask is to begin right away with, tell us who you are. Uh, begin just with, with that statement, uh, no judgment, but simply go ahead and tell us who you are, Justin. Who I am? Well, I am proudest to be a husband and father. I, uh, my wife and I have been married for 10 years, and we are six days from uh, having our third child. Oh, my. So if, I, if I just disappear mid-interview, it's because I got the call. Wow. Um, but we are, we just, uh, I love my family dearly. We're based in Atlanta, Georgia. And a lot of what my life's work and a lot of my purpose is tied up in this work of Care for AIDS, which is an organization that I founded 12 years ago uh, alongside two very amazing Kenyan leaders and have been doing this work as my full-time vocation for the past 10 years. And so that is a pretty big, it's about a third of my life and a pretty big chunk uh, of who I am. But uh, those are the highlights. Well, I will not uh, judge you if you take off and we're just left with that picture behind you. It looks like it's a giraffe, so that's one of my favorite animals. That's right. Um, And you got a a tree there. I'm sure that's probably from a Serengeti or somewhere like that. Um, Pretty iconic acacia tree from Africa, yes. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, just to begin, there is so much of your story and that really comes out in the book that has to do with what the title is of blood and knowing mm. that our boundaries in life are not uh, just based on uh, country, uh, based on our, the way we look. I love how you ended with we're a Lua, a Kukuyu, and a Mazungu. And could you talk a little bit about what that's like um, to enter into a world uh, where there are not just the boundaries of of states or countries or oceans, but more of something deeper in our own way, as as you have articulated in this beautiful book? Yeah, there are so many boundaries uh, that have been crossed in our story. And just just to give listeners a little bit of the context of. Uh, what does it mean to be a Luo and a Kikuyu? Uh, these are two of 43 tribes that exist within Kenya and Tanzania. Those over 100 tribes. But those two tribes have been opposed uh, against one another for over 50 years. And generally around the election cycle, but just those tensions rise and violence erupts and the country kind of descends into um, a lot of uh, just anger and tension around uh, these tribal identities. And when I met Cornell and Duncan, my two co-founders, they, their, their relationship is, is really an anomaly and, and really a taboo cultural relationship for a Kikuyu and a Luo to be um, best friends 
is it's just not something you see. And even when they met in early 2000s, they had been conditioned through their upbringing to just not not to trust that other group. Uh, we know what that's like in a very, sometimes very overt way, sometimes very subtly, uh, we start to see these divisions that are built up, but their relationship was able to overcome that and they developed this brotherhood. And, and that has really been a defining part of our, of our journey that Cure for AIDS is not about helping Luos or helping Kikuyus, but it is a blend of backgrounds and perspectives that addresses the issue in a way that transcends tribe. And when you think about not just tribal boundaries, but you think about the social status of having HIV versus not having HIV and how hard it is to transcend that boundary that exists. And then you take uh, the, the wealth and the affluence that we have in the U.S. compared to relative poverty that's experienced in East Africa and how do we build a bridge between those two different worldviews and uh, and then across denominations and faiths and so for us it's just been a journey in understanding how to be better at understanding and and really just looking at at our core who we are and how do we learn from one another and build relationships that allow us to to ask hard questions and challenge, but not to push away divide. And, and that's really the, the spirit behind this idea of beyond blood. Yeah. And, you know, it sounds so much as what we know is faith seeking understanding based upon not having this this way of just saying, I, I see you and I am going to judge you. And you even talk about this in the book. And, and I believe this is a big part of your own healing story is people begin when you work in HIV of the world that you have HIV. And I, I can relate to this too, you know, and, and I think that there's some sense of, well, what are we doing to take care for the stranger uh, who looks different than us, who has something inside them, but but you have uh, contradicted the social norm by saying, I won't allow stigma to prevent who I love and who I care for. And, and could you talk a little bit about that in terms of your own healing story? Because I think even in the book, you, uh, your proposal to your wife, the way that you, you know, your brother, there are so many riches of, of yeah. not judging those whom we love. And, and I feel your healing story is really a core part of that. So, so just talking a little bit about how you kind of came to understand that uh, you really can love anyone. Yeah. Well, there were a number of influences. You mentioned my brother. He's a he's a key part of my story. He, uh, David, and I are the only we're only two kids in our family, but he's about two years younger than me, and he was born with severe developmental disabilities and, and struggles with autism and cerebral palsy and, and a number of uh, other uh, conditions that he has lived with over his life. He's nonverbal, and so I think for me, uh, I, I didn't connect the dots till much later. I wasn't that 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 aware as an 18 year old, which is when this whole journey got started. But, uh, growing up in a, in a home where I saw, um, and many times we were surrounded by a lot of, of just chaos and how to deal with David and his outburst. And, and there was just always a great sense of peace that kind of pervaded our home and my parents, like it led from that place of, of really good health, um, spiritually and otherwise. And, uh, I saw David's, the things that he was not able to do. And it just developed in me this great sense of 
uh, importance of stewardship in my life. I would say that's a big theme of like, how do I, how do I take where I am and the gifts and the talents that I've been given and do something that can make an impact knowing that David, um, for all the things that he's brought into this world, a lot of joy, a lot of things that he's taught, he will never have the opportunity to do the things that I've been able to do. And so I look back and I see how that relationship began to shape and heal, as you said, my, my life and give me a, an openness and a heart for people that are marginalized and people that are disabled here in the U S the people with HIV, they are worlds apart, but they share some things in common, uh, in terms of the way that they're marginalized in a way. And so when I found myself 18 years old, sitting in a auditorium, listening to a presentation about HIV and AIDS and realizing that I was in the 94% of the faith community, uh, broadly defined that didn't really know or care about HIV and AIDS. I, I could not let that, that stand. And that's what kind of set me on this journey. Yeah. These are defining moments, aren't they? And I think even for our listeners to be quite reflective of what mood of motivates us based upon how we have a tug of the heart and, uh, that, that lecture hall, uh, I can relate to some of that of, of myself being in cost accounting class and just saying, I, I don't think I'm going to go be corporate finance, you know, but, but you never know when the spirit's going to speak to you. And that's another part of your book yeah. is, is you are continually immersed into places which not many people will have gone to. And how has that kind of uh, built your own sense of leadership, uh, your beginning of just knocking on a door, crossing a bridge in, in a slum? Uh, that th- Those kind of activities, yeah. I think, uh, could be so helpful for our listeners to say, are there places that I'm being called to that are so fearful, but yet I feel there's some deep uh, reality that could teach me who I am? Yeah. Well, going back to these relationships, I mean, you mentioned the word fear. I mean, that is what that's what keeps us from taking these bold steps or even just engaging with somebody that's different than us. There's some fear that we have and that has been largely put out of my life because you you don't, you don't spend your time frequently walking through the slums of East Africa and just not realize that man on the other side of the world, and as an extreme a situation as you can imagine, and as opposed to my own situation, and I, there are things that I have deeply in common with these individuals. And we can talk about the fact that the room is six by six and there's no electricity and running water, but let's talk about being the parent, like the parents of kids. And like, what do we want for our kids and how do we help make that a reality for our kids? And so I you know, all of those experiences, I would just say as, as a leader, um, have just kind of reinforced the kind of leader that I want to be, which is one that, that really sees every person with incredible dignity and value and works really hard to understand what their unique contribution is and how do we, how do we call that out and develop that in them? And, um, and, and from the range of people that I've gotten to spend time with, they, they have taught me a lot. And then it, it would be very arrogant to say that I have taught them something because I really think that they have taught me a lot more about life and community and faith than I have ever imparted to them. You know, it's interesting because I, I wanted to say of, of all the people in this book, I'm sure there is one story that you are drawn to. It's probably hard. I, 
to say just one, but is there someone and you could talk about in terms of their own healing or something that you learned uh, by being there? You, you are clearly saying that we have some shared humanity uh, as, as a lesson of your, of your story. Are, are there people who just come up today that you want to talk about and, and how they kind of healed or, or taught you how to heal uh, through this journey of care for AIDS and even beyond blood? Mm, that's a great that's a great question um yeah there's so many so many lessons that are that are just they're just embedded in all of these stories um, and i remember you know one time you're talking about just the people going up to the door and you're not allowed to knock sometimes right and then when you knock and you come into the door or you come into the room there's this person and maybe talking a little bit about uh, that person, uh, who they are. Cause I know it's hard for even our, our listeners and viewers to understand what that kind of looks like when you build relationships with a stranger. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, at first, I mean, when you go into these and you'll, you'll read, if you read the book, I encourage you to, to read the story about Pamela. Pamela is one of the, the key figures in the book. And I won't, I won't tell that, <laughs> that whole story now, uh, got to give you a reason to go out and, and purchase it. But, but yeah, I mean, there are, I mean, there's a, there's a general sense when you go into these homes of, uh, initial discomfort that's felt on the part of both, uh, groups that are there. Uh, you're trying to overcome and bridge all of these different gaps in a very short time. And so there are, uh, there's a little bit of just uncomfortable, uh, nature of that. And I think that's really, that's one of the costs that we have to, to incur. And it's really a minor cost, but it's something that we have to overcome if we're going to build these relationships. But for me, the story that comes to mind right now, and, and it's the story of a, of a client that it, uh, just recently really gotten to understand her story, but I think it just really, a lot of our stories point to something that you talk a lot about, Martin, is just that, that healing for us is, is really in our health in general, it's, it's so integrated with all parts of our life. And you take in some more obvious ways where, when there's, you know, a breakdown in your community or something like that, and you experience other types of emotional or psychological um, suffering from that. And then in more subtle ways of how physical health and spiritual health are so intimately connected that we've shown time and time again, that people who are practicing spiritual disciplines in their life are experiencing better health outcomes with HIV than those who are not. Mm -hmm. But I think about our clients like Daisy, um, you can actually go and watch Daisy's story on our website right now and just see how this beautiful young woman had everything in her life going for her at 25 years old. Her family was close knit. She was working at a church, a place you would expect to be a very safe place for her. And her HIV status became known and her family disowned her and the church fired her. And she ended up bedridden, unable to accept her status, unable to take the medication that was prescribed her 
resulting in a host of physical issues with her back and spine that left her unable to walk. And, and so to see her now, and you'll see in this video, still moving with a cane, but getting close to being completely mobile again. And that's been because of amazing physical therapy, but it's also been because she found a community in one of our programs. She's been reconnected to the source of her faith. She has a business uh, training that she's been through. And she says in five years, my vision is to be an international businesswoman. And she sees there's, there's purpose in her work and she sees for that. So all of that to say, uh, her story is, is so inspiring to me. And, um, and just, she's one of, of thousands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so struck by just the amount of people who you have been able to graduate from the program. And there are, it's almost as if I think of you as who's the next Daisy, uh, because you know there are so many out there. And then how do we inspire the world to not just have it be you and me, but to have it be other people who knock at a door, who say that the stranger can be our friend, who say that these people are worth it. Um, and I love how your dad's quote in the book is like, hey, hope is not a strategy. And I wondered to me in your own life, and you're a mountain climber, and my brother-in-law, Chris, has climbed the mountain with his own dad of Kilimanjaro. What was that like um, to be able to climb a mountain, but then also know that hope is not a strategy? Or maybe, I, I, maybe you do believe it. Uh, it's okay if we don't always go with what our parents tell us, right? <laughs> no, my team gives me a hard time because my dad is, has been full of very helpful sayings over my life. <laughs> and um, they, they know very quickly that I'm going to want them to take an abstract idea and make it very concrete uh, because that is – what I, what I'm driving towards, but man, I mean, Kilimanjaro, that's, uh, that was an amazing experience. Obviously it is a defining time in my life right after high school going into the next phase, uh, kind of just a side sidebar, just cause my dad is, uh, he's one of my heroes and you'll see that in the book, but he, he's just such a leadership nut and I love it. But like the first day we finished climbing on Kilimanjaro, and we sit there drinking some hot chocolate, recovering from the day. And he said, Justin, why don't we make it an exercise where every night we finish hiking, we write down all the leadership lessons that the mountain taught us that day. And I'm like, Dad, are you, are you kidding me? So I, I appreciate uh, his intentionality in that. But, um, but yeah, we, you know, I was, I grew up in an environment and, and, and just wired in a way to be a person of, of strategic action. And I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a very high risk taker, even though I have tried to strengthen that muscle a little bit. But when I saw a need and I saw that there was a, um, I just, I couldn't come home from being in Africa and just hope that somebody steps up and takes care of this issue with HIV and AIDS. Um, did I realize that I was going to be doing it for the next decade? Did I realize that we'd be able to have this kind of impact, not in a million years, but um, here's a problem. The solution became clearer to me as we were there for a month. Um, and I had people and resources at my disposal bring some alleviation to that suffering and I knew that I had to act. So yes, hope is, is not a strategy. And I brought this for you today too, because you know, Chick-fil-A does have strategies as well. And I know that you're definitely involved with, with some of the ways that they help with hospitality. And I have mm -hmm. learned so much from them. 
by even the coffee. I mean, and how, you know, you're going to have a great day ahead. Uh, you're going to have a way that people treat you. It's going to be an experience that you, you know you can count on. And I believe just like Southwest Airlines, they are teaching us a way of you and I working on the margins with HIV. Are there anything that they or even the hospitality method of Chick-fil-A has helped you with care for AIDS? I'm going to take a sip of coffee here. Please do. Yeah. Uh, keep buying, keep chocolate, keep eating at Chick-fil-A. Okay. We, we're, uh, we're, we're big fans and they, um, a lot of people at Chick-fil-A are very supportive of our work. Um, but yes, I, I would say, uh, having a dad who works at Chick-fil-A and being deeply connected to their, their culture. Um, I will say they, you know, they, they really do try to treat every person with honor, dignity, and respect. And I think that's a, something that we, we borrow from them. But as they think about leadership, it, it really does all go back to, to how do we serve? How do we, how do we add value to people? And it, that the language of servant leadership has been a little bit dismissed uh, as maybe it's, it's not, it's, it's maybe it's soft, maybe it's irrelevant, but I think it's timeless and, and it's been abused quite frankly, some, in some cases, but in terms of how we think about, uh, as the leader of this organization, my job is to serve everybody in this organization. And my ability to do that is ultimately going to determine how well we're able to care for our clients that are pretty far removed from me in Atlanta, Georgia. And so their whole thinking around what kind of skills and character and, and practices do servant leaders embody? Those are the things that have really defined a lot of how I think about how to lead. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there isn't a, a, a playbook. And your life and Beyond Blood kind of talks about that, that you have to be in touch with this integration of a spirit and and aware that things may come at you that you don't know how to deal with them. And how do you deal with that? You bring people together. Um, you know, we're better together than we are alone. And I'm sure that's some African proverb somewhere. And we'll quote it from an African proverb because we're talking about Africa. But I mean, how do you develop a sense of belonging and a sense of cohesion when you are in Atlanta. And we know that um, Kibera is where Kibera is at or where Kisumu is or, you know, these these beautiful parts of the world. And it's almost as like the, you know, the heart grows fonder through distance or time away. And maybe that's part of the strategy, too. But how do you do this, uh, Justin, as a leader, when you're impacting some place that's clearly not just in your next door neighborhood? Yeah, that's a tough question, and, and we honestly haven't figured it out. I think the proverb you're looking for is uh, there's a great one that says, "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that. That's too. a great. I like that one a lot. Yeah, but I think we, you know, obviously there's only eight of us that are in the U.S. office, but okay. uh, their connection to the work is really paramount. I mean, they're the ones that are going to be sharing the work with people and inviting people to partner with us. And, uh, it's not, a, it's not an option for them to go once a quarter and visit the people who are, you know, receiving the care that they're, that they're talking about. So uh, to keep that vision white hot in front of our U S staff, uh, we do try to get them to the ground as much as possible, but, um, I'm thankful for, you know, my 
my co-founders, Cornell and Duncan, they, we have our challenges with communicating both up and down through the organization. We're in nine regions now and a lot of our staff still don't have or check regularly any kind of email. So we don't have that as a, as a tool. Uh, we have, we have phone, we have face to face and we have, you know, just like larger in-person gatherings. And so we have to work within those constraints and we work really hard when we gather our, our staff together uh, all together once a year and then regionally for events uh, once a year as well. Um, we just have to need to share this is our purpose these are our values this is who we are and if it doesn't fall within that then it's not something we're supposed to do and uh, and then we also have to be good at communicating that and we have to be really good at listening uh, to the people that are on the front lines because they're the ones that um, have the greatest insights into what's actually going to work to care for our clients and if we don't have systems to listen to them uh, we will ultimately they will become disengaged because they will think that we don't know what we're talking about and they just won't be able to do the, do the work they need to do. It's totally true. And, and how, how problematic it is if we go into a boardroom, if we go into uh, a restaurant, if we go into a classroom thinking that we're the ones with the message, right. Uh, and, and your way of allowing them to tell you what the truth is, I think has been a a very significant part of your leadership style. Um, we know that 19.4, I think you quote this 19.4 million people are living with HIV right now. That is one of the largest, uh, polio has been something the Gates foundation has worked and eradicated, tried to, and I feel your Mm -hmm. organization in trying to eradicate a 19.4 million, uh, is, is just a huge mountain to climb. Uh, are there ways that people who are listening can can help with this? Uh, are there ways that they could come to your aid, Justin? Yes. Well, it is a huge mountain, and that's a, that's an accurate stat. But it, you're, it's actually only referring to Sub-Saharan Africa, so uh, it's where we feel most called to work right now. But the issue is about twice that globally, and um, there may be people listening that are feeling compelled to get involved more on the domestic front here in the U.S. or other parts of the world, um, India uh, and Southeast Asia and other places where HIV is, is continuing to be an issue. But uh, I would just just encourage everyone, this is not a, this is a very abstract idea, but just I just want people to, we need to continue our resolve in, uh, in continuing to, to think about HIV and AIDS and keep it on the forefront of our minds. It's, it's in a very uh, interesting place right now as a global epidemic where we've had uh, some gains that we're very thankful for, but those gains are could quickly be erased if we don't see a commitment to this, both from at a government level uh, down to the private individuals level as well. And so, I would just encourage you to continue to educate yourself. Uh, we're coming up on World AIDS Day; uh, it's December first. Uh, educate yourself on what's going on. Ask yourself, you know, what is it? Um, that I'm supposed to do to be a part of this care phrase obviously would open our, our doors to you to say, Hey, come join what we're doing in this. If it's not us, find another organization that is, is working, uh, in whatever part of the world you're in to fight this issue. Um, go to the, like we did, we, we you do it strategically, but we take people to experience it, uh, firsthand in the field because it really uh, will open your eyes and teach you a lot about what, 
kind of healing we need to experience on the U.S. side of things when we come back home. And so, and if you're a person of faith, a person who prays, like definitely just join us wherever you are in praying for the people that we're serving and our staff who are on the front lines. Uh, that would be a huge, huge gift as well. Why don't we end with that? Would you pray for us, Justin? I would love to. God, we thank you so much for being the ultimate healer. And we thank you that you just have a heart of compassion for every person and you want to bring about renewal in the the earth today. And we want to see a lot of brokenness healed. And we just uh, ask that you would use us as your instruments of healing in whatever part of the world that we're in, and whether that's HIV or something else, that we would figure out how we can be used to help people physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, socially. How can we care for them and um, and heal them? And uh, we ask that in all of this, uh, you would get all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm Justin Miller, Beyond Blood, and you can get this in a day because I did, thanks to Amazon. And uh, I will say uh, if there is any way that we can continue the Dialogue uh, Healing Stories podcast, we will keep that up, Justin. So congratulations and, and the best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories. 